0: So we're starting this Christmas series we're starting today is uh, reason. And today it's reason and faith. And some people, and you may have had this thrown at you as well. I I did in college. That was the biggest place was in college, is that you can't have both. I mean, if you're going to be a person of faith, you're unreasonable. You can't reason and have faith. But reason and faith, they don't fight each other. They're not odds with each other. They don't war against each other. They actually intersect. I mean, they, they I guess at the, at the corner of Faith Street and Reason Avenue right here, okay, right, something. But they, they, they intersect. They meet. They're not attacking one another. You know how to reason, right? I mean, you have the ability to reason, right? Everybody, did it, except for maybe the person sitting next to you, right? Sometimes they're unreasonable, right? But I mean, you have the, where do you get that? You didn't develop it on your own. It's a God-given trait, characteristic, ability. God gave you reason, so you ought to use it. So, so you know, in, in case you've ever thought or you've ever been told, no, if you've got faith, you don't have reason. You can't do it. No, you can do both. God gave us reason. And I think, I think uh, one of the reasons, uh, yeah, a little uh, accidental Freudian slip there. One of the reasons that we misunderstand that is because we misunderstand what faith really is and what reason really is. So let's talk about those two things, and and, uh, before we get to maybe some really good stuff, uh, hopefully, uh, let's talk about those things. First of all, what does reason mean? And the verb, the verb part of that, you know, to reason. It means to form judgments by a process of logic. Okay, reason is not a standard. You know how, like, holiness, God's holiness, it's like like a measurement, it's a standard, it's a quantity. You know, that's not what reason is. I know sometimes we say, well, you're more reasonable than that guy. And so we kind of use it that way. But it's, it's not a standard. Like faith is a standard. We'll talk about faith in just a moment as well. But reason's not like that. Reason is a process. It's a tool. It's something we use. It's a means to get something or to get somewhere. Like you guys. You guys uh, in your garage, you got tools, right? You know? You got tools. And... Do you like your tools? I like my tools. But you know, you don't live for your tools. Well, I know some guys live for their tools, right? I mean, you do. But you don't really live for the tools. The tools are there for you. All right? So you get a project you want to work on. You got something you need to do. What do you do? You go get the tools, and the tools help you fulfill the project. It's not the other way around, right? I mean, it's the project that's the important thing. The tools just get you there. It's the means. It's the process. It's the way it happens. That's what reason is. Reason is just the tool to help you get somewhere. Reason reminds us of the things that, that, that shore up our faith and remind us of things. Just like we, we sang just a few minutes ago. You know, we sang that song and it said, you've never failed and you won't stop now. What is that? That is reason. You use reason. When you say that and you say, yeah, that's right. You use reason and it built your faith up a little bit, didn't it? It encouraged you to think, hey, that's right. He's never failed and he won't stop now. He's, because the word says it's the same yesterday today and forever, right? So you're using reason to build up your faith and remind yourself. So that's what it is. Reason is like, like a tool. Now let me take you some scriptures uh, in, in the book of Romans because there is a problem with reason sometimes. And, and the problem is when, when reason is not in line with God. You see, reason is important, but it's important in the context of faith. When we reason outside of faith, when we reason outside of God, that's when we start getting in trouble. Romans 1, 28 uh, says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, get, God gave them over to a perverse understanding. Okay, so this is talking about a particular sin. That's not what's important right here. Here's what's important I want you to see, is that it is, imp- it is possible for your reasoning to become skewed, even perverse. You know, you are bombarded all day long, all week long, with all kinds of messages, and, uh, you know, in TV, media, and all that kind of stuff. yeah. You get them as well. But with your friends, coworkers, and people who tell you, you ought to think this way about that. I mean, you know, you go to some people with a problem and they start telling you how you ought to think and they start trying to change how you think about something. That's great if they're trying to line you up with the Word of God. But if they're trying to line you up with the way the world thinks, or buddy, ain't nobody out for you except you and you better get it because if you don't get it, you don't get it for yourself, nobody else is. And they try to line you up with the world's vision of reason, that's when you start getting in trouble. And so then Paul in chapter 12 reminds us don't be conformed to this world. Don't let your reasoning match up with the world's reasoning, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern, so that you may reason what is good, what is acceptable, what is the perfect will of God. So, what is that verse telling us? If you Don't have your mind in line with God's mind, then you cannot reason what His will is. You cannot reason the right things. You cannot reason. So, so we need to constantly, because we're bombarded every day with stuff and people telling us, and we need to constantly work on keeping our mind, our reason in line with God's will and God's way, or we'll be reasoning wrong. Like this. Let's go back to the garage, guys. You know. You got a level in your garage, you know, you know what know, a level is, you know, I got a level it has got, it's got three little places. It's got, you know, a little piece of glass, a little tube that's got some water in it. It's got that bubble, you know, and you've got to get the bubble between the lines that means it's level. But you know, if, if, if that piece of glass were to get, you know, bumped in some way, it's not supposed to happen, but if it were to get bumped in some way and get off just a little bit, then my level would be off, right? Because I would be measuring by something that was now, Askew. That's what happens when our reasoning gets askew. the the problem The problem isn't with reason, but when we allow our reason to get askew and not in line with God's will. And so we have to constantly work to keep make sure that the world's reasoning don't doesn't come into our reasoning. Okay, because there's great, awesome blessing when our reasoning is in line with God. And here it is. It's in chapter fourteen, verse five. Let each man be fully assured in his own mind. You know what that tells me? That means you don't have to wonder. You don't have to doubt. You can, every person can be fully assured in their own mind, not just in your spirit, not just in your hope. So, but you can be fully assured. You can know this. And so, and we don't take these things out of context. I mean, you put all of this together and see. here's what he's saying. Come on, keep your mind in line with God's, with God's mind because when you do and when you reason, then you can prove what is that good and acceptable will of God and you can be fully assured in your own mind. And so you don't have to be confused. You don't have to have questions. You don't have to... You can know that you know that you know. All right, give you a little example. Here, here, I, think, I think some people think, you know, we... We Christians, you know, when you become a person of faith, you have to do away with reason. You ever been to a a theater, not a movie theater, but like a a live performance, you know, a a theater where, uh, you know, you've been to a, a musical or something and you go in, a day like today is a good example. You go in, you take your coat off, you hand it to a young lady, and she takes it back into a closet. And then after the performance is over, you come and she gives you the coat back or a hat or something like that. And we call that. Checking your coat, right? You check your coat at the door, or like uh, you know you came in today maybe with an umbrella and you dropped it in. And I said in the first couple services, I don't know what it is out there, just it's just a decorated bucket out there or something, that we put our umbrellas in. You know, and somebody told me after the uh, after the second service they gave me the official word for that. I was calling it a decorated bucket. They said it is an umbrella bucket. I said, oh, okay, that's a good technical word for it. I'm glad to know that now. You know, now I, I don't I don't sound like a, a you know a doofus when I start talking about just a decorate. Anyway, okay, but you brought that in and it's like you check it at the door, right? You, you, you check, because you, you don't want to bring it in, you know, and, and drip water everywhere. And on your way out, you'll pick it up and go out. You know what? Some people think that when you become a Christian, you have to check your brain at the door. That like on Sunday morning, when you walk in the door, there are people that think when we walk in the door on Sunday morning, we have to check our brain in the foyer, you know, so we can come in here, we can just be old faith, 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 faith. But no, God gave us both. Because and, and we're not just people of faith here. <laughs> we're people of faith out there too. And so we don't check our brain on the way in and then check our faith on the way out, do we? No, we use them both because they're important. Right, let me show you this. Because in the definition of faith, we I mean, it talks about reason. You have to use reason to have faith. The definition in the scripture is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 A faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. A couple of very strong words there substance and evidence. You got the actual Greek definitions there, uh, you know, the substance hypostasis, which literally means standing under. Okay? You know what that means? That means faith has something standing under it. It has, it has a substructure. It has a foundation. This hypothesis is a foundation of faith. Is what he's telling us. There's a foundation there. It's like, it's like man, this thing, this thing. I was a little worried about it because I thought, man, that thing's pretty heavy. I hope they tie it. They do have it tied real good here. But, man, this, this is strong. This is what faith is. Faith has something under it. It's not this... This ethereal idea or anything like that. That's why some people look at faith, oh, it's just something you feel. No, no, no. Faith is strong. Faith is substance. It's a real thing. It's not imagined. It's not merely a fleeting thought and a hope that God's going to do something. It's substance. It it, it is confidence. It's assurance. It's firm trust. And one of the definitions, it's as in a title of possession. Do you have a title in anything? Like a car or a house or something, right? You know, most of you probably have something like that, that your name is on. And you know that you own that car, or you own that house, or at least you and the bank own that house, you know. But you know that you own that, right? Because you got a title somewhere. You know that beyond any doubt. And, and, and not, you know, not because you went online you know or something and you went on a computer and you typed up your own little title. Listen, if you did that, it's not valid. Okay, I just want you to know. It, it's got to be recorded somewhere. Some government official's got to stamp it, notarize it, record it or something, right? But because it's recorded, there's an authority in this title. And you know, you've seen your name on it. And you see the authority that's there. And because of that, you know you are. That's what this is talking about. That you have title to whatever it is that God has promised you, and you know it because, you know, not because you got a piece of paper, you know, in your glove, glove compartment or, or in a file back at home. You know it because there's authority in this. Okay, and, and then that other word, evidence, is a leg close, which means uh, that which is invi- invisible or, or that by which invisible things are proved true. Have you ever not seen something but you knew it was there? You know, you ever smelled something that you couldn't see? <laughs> yeah uh, okay you got a little kid so no, i know what he's thinking about probably yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I man no this nose right here okay it doesn't have to see you know let's say where there's smoke there's fire this nose does not have to see fire this nose i mean if you burned something last week this nose will tell you i you know, i can smell the smoke so there's been there's been a fire here somewhere that's that's what this is that's what this this evidence is is that even if you can't see it, there is something else that's still proving to you it's still there. That's what, that's what this means. And, and that, that, that last definition of, of elekos is uh, the internal conviction or persuasion that comes from God. You remember when God first convinced, uh, we used to use the term conviction all the time, be under conviction. And that just sounds like you're going to jail, right? You know, it, it means the same thing as convince, okay? Remember when God convinced you that you needed him? And that he was the source that you needed and all that. It's the same thing here. He didn't just convince you just so you could get saved. He also, con- he also wants to convince you every single day. Yeah, you got that needed. I got the answer. Here it is. Here it is. And he wants to convince you. That's what faith is. And you can't, you can't really have that without reason. Look at this. There's reason in that. Every bit of it, there's reason that is there. and But reason is just the tool that gets us there. So let's broaden this, this, this faith definition just a little bit for a moment. So basically, biblically, faith is having confidence in something you have not experienced with your senses, but which you have an underlying reason and assurance from God. I, I, I put this up there because I wanted to declare it to you. Biblical faith is not blind. You're not wandering around and saying, Oh, I believe God. I know I don't see any evidence of anything. But no, no, no. That's not faith. A lot of times that's just stupidity. Biblical faith is not blind. There is substance, there's evidence, there's proof that is there, okay? And, and it's not unreasonable, meaning that it's not without reason. Biblical faith has reason. I reason my faith. And I'm gonna show you how in just a few moments, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna walk you through it just a little bit, okay? And we have good reason, pun intended, we have good reason to believe. We have good reason for our faith that God has demonstrated that he always keeps his promises. That's a good reason to keep believing him, isn't it? That's reason. We reason that. I know because his word says he's the same yesterday, today, forever. He's never failed and he won't start now. If he did it for this one, He'll do it for me. He's he's not a respecter of person. If he does something for... Hey, if he did that for them, he'll do that for me. That's reasoning. I'm reasoning that, wait a minute. God loves me. God wants to take care of me. Wait a minute. That's reasoning. And so the reasoning is there. We have good reason to believe that. So... So how do we use this? So let's talk a little bit about, about how we use this uh, biblical faith. Uh, God has given us this reasoning ability to enable us to understand and have faith in His Word and apply it to our lives because it, the, the Word is powerful and it is true. Okay, so He gives us reasoning ability because we need the Word of God, not just in our laps or in our hands or in an app on our phone. We need the Word of God in our lives. And reasoning allows us to understand what the word of God says we need it because the word of God is powerful And the word of God is truth now when I say the word of God is truth. You know what that means That means I, I, I'm at the inference there is also that there is no untruth in the word of God it is 100 percent truth and it isn't just It's not like it became truth. It is the source of truth Truth comes from it and there there is there there is no untruth in it And the, that's the same thing. I mean when I say God's word is powerful There is no weakness in the Word of God. Just as when I say the Word is truth, there's no untruth. When I say the Word is powerful, I'm telling you, there is no weakness in the Word of God. The Word of God even says about itself. I I I like that, don't you? The Word of God even talks about itself. The Word of God even says, let me tell you about myself. That when God spoke me and whenever he speaks and his word goes forth, it will always accomplish everything that it is sent forth for. There is no weakness in it. You understand that? There's no weakness that is there. It's not that there is the potential of power. It is always powerful. The word of God is always powerful. There is no weakness in the word of God. That's why we need the word of God in our lives. Because it's always powerful. It's always the truth. It always tells us exactly what we need to know. So let's reason for just a minute. In the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, will believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, reason with me there for a moment. Wow, if I confess and believe in my heart, then I'm saved. Do you ever wake up? Do you ever have any of those days that you don't feel like a Christian? Now, I don't, I don't mean that you feel like going out and doing something you shouldn't do. But you just have some of a tough week. You've just been under battle after battle after battle. And, and, and maybe you've been praying and thinking, God, where are you? You ever have one of those days that you just don't feel like a Christian? Let me tell you, there are two groups of people in this room right now. Those who have experienced that and those who just lie about it. Okay, we, we all experience that. Days that, okay, you got a title to your car? You got, Jody, you got a title to your car? Show it to me. But you still know. You've seen it. You still know. I don't, I don't have the title, but I know. Because I've seen it. Because I know, It doesn't matter how... This word right here, Romans 10, 9, does not say... no. When you have a good week, you're still saved. When, when your boss is nice to you, you're still saved. When you make good on the test you're still saved. That's not what this, it's not talking about how you feel. It's not talking about your, man, this is one you need to write down if you're having some of those days. It's saying, if I confess, and if I believe in him, then it says I'm saved regardless of how people treat me, regardless of how I feel about it. It says that he is still on my side and he is fighting for me. That's reasoning. That's reasoning that takes that and builds my faith back up. It's the tool that just keeps building my faith and creating. And so, yeah, we need to keep keep reasoning. Here's another good one. This is one you really need to get. Okay, it's Matthew. This is where Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, let me give you two. He doesn't say that exactly, but he does. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Now, he was only asked for one, but he gave two. He said, the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the reason he gave the second one. He said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You got two commandments here. Love God with all you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else that's ever been written in the Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, hang on one of those two things. Everything. And so, you know, know, when you get to those places where you think, and I've had people say, Pastor, I got a dilemma and I've read and I can't find anywhere in the Bible what I need to do. There it is right there. Every direction you need, you can find right here. You know, think about it. If God were to write down all the stuff we need to do and we need to not do, you know, all the sin that we could commit in the world, how big would that book have to be? Come on, how big would that book have to be if God were to say, do this, do this, do this, 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 this. And you know, and you know how you guys are, especially okay, those of you who have little kids, you know this especially. You tell them not to do something. But you got to tell them how not to do that, and don't do this version of that, or this variation of that, and all that—that that kind of thing. You know, that's that's the way we are with our sin. And so, guys, I'm not going to legislate morality here. Now, back in the Old Testament, there seemed to be a lot of that. Look in the Book of Leviticus and some of the rest of the, the Law of Moses. You'll see, God said, "Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this." I mean, they must have been like a two-year-old or something. They had to keep being told that. But said, so "That's not it." It said, "They all hang right here, and even the Ten Commandments, they hang on these two. Right? These are the two biggest. Go look at them. The first four hang on, on that first one. Love God with everything you got. The, the last six of the Ten Commandments, they hang on the other one. Love others as yourself. E- everyone, it all hangs on that. And so when you say, I don't know what to do, check this out right here. I got a difficult person in my life. I just not, do not know how to deal with him. You're, you need to look at number two right here. L- love others as yourself. You know, I, you know my parents, I, I, you know, they, they're always one. It's, it's like that... Uh, uh, number number five, honor your father and mother. You know that one hangs on the second one there. Love your neighbor, neighbors yourself, like your parents as well. Think about put yourself in, in their position. You know you give birth to someone. You 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 get up anytime they cry. You get up when they cry because they're hungry. You get up when they cry because their stomach hurts. You get up when they cry because they fill the diaper with poop. You know whatever. You get up. You get up. You get up. You know you. You find every single thing they do, you're always there for them and all that. What do you think they want? God tells you, honor your father and mother. They want honor. I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's reasoning. Jesus is saying, you can take these two right here, and you can reason everything you need to know about God and what God wants to do in your life. You can reason right there. But let me give you that. This. This, this, is, this is a personal one. And this was in the middle of studying for this message, but, but uh, it's just, it was just amazing where all God and I went. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. And look how it opens. That's how I found it, because I was I was really just doing some research, and I found it. God invites us to reason with him. Yeah, you know, we're not supposed to tempt him, test him, and all that. But he invites us. He said, Come on, reason with me. Me? God? <laughs> me reason with you? You, you want me? You don't to reason with you. He invites us. Come on, let's reason together. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be. It's white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. And so I reasoned with God there a little bit. I started reasoning. What's he saying here? And first of all, I'm thinking about, okay, this is, this is God speaking through Isaiah. And I remember some things that I, you know, Isaiah had this attitude that, whoo, God, you're a big old awesome holy God. And I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Oh, woe is me. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. just want to back off. And I got to thinking about the same thing. How holy and awesome and amazing he was! Okay, this is this is me reasoning here. Okay, I'm reasoning here. I'm showing I'm show, I'm show you this is how this thing works. You get to a scripture and you start reasoning with God, and I said, God, you're a holy, awesome God, and He does not even know sin, except really what He sees us do. Right? God doesn't know sin. He's never had sin. He's never experienced it. He's never done sin. You know, everything he does is lovely and wonderful. This is who this big, huge, holy, awesome, wonderful God is. And who are we? We're, my goodness, we're just sinners and man, and we all make mistakes and mess up. And man, when he found us, so we were all messes. And it just reminded me that God, we, man, we really needed something awesome, amazing, and powerful to happen to reconcile this holy God to who we were. Uh, I know you, say, you might say, oh yeah, but I try, I try really hard. You, you, you might try really hard, but the Word of God tells us that it, our righteousness, as best as we can do, is still filthy rags. <laughs> we need something awesome to bring this huge holy God into reconciliation with us filthy, filthy rags. Because we, we live in a world, man, that's just covered up with problems, troubles and struggles and strife and Stress. Anybody got stress? Nobody? Nobody? Good. Praise God. <laughs> stress. I mean, and stress beyond our control. I mean, did anybody ever tell you just get over it? Yep. Yeah? You, you want to slap them? You know. Just get over it. Stress beyond our control and, and, and hurt. I don't mean just pain. I mean hurt inside. And you know what? We need some help here, God. This is beyond our control. We need something bigger than us. Because you know what happens to us? You know what happens to us when? And I googled this because I wanted to know because you know when man is left to his own devices. I googled because people have people have written many things following that phrase. So I googled this just to see when man is left to his own devices. And one of the one of the quotes I found this was from a long time ago. One of the quotes I found was when man is left to his own devices, he wars against himself. You know that's it. That's me. When I am reasoning outside of God's direction and mindset when I reason my own way and the way the world reasons you know what I do I tear myself up I destroy myself I make decisions that are stupid I do things I make mistakes when I am left to my own way I war against myself another another one of them said uh, uh, uh when man is left to his own devices he disintegrates oh yeah that's us all of humankind when we don't reason God's way we fall apart. We disintegrate. We need some guidance here, God. We need some direction. And you, this is this is the reasoning that me and God were doing from this one verse. This is the way this works, guys. And then he just came over me as he began reasoning back to me now because I started talking about man, God, we we, we need this, we need this, we need. And then God started talking back, and he started reasoning back with me. And you know what? You know what he reminded me of two thousand years ago. 2,000 years ago, his awesome, powerful answer to our dilemma of a holy God in filthy rags came in the form of a baby in a stable in Bethlehem. And and you know how that whole story begins? You remember how the whole nativity thing begins about, uh, about how God, he starts sending dreams and visions, even angels, to people like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds? You know, and, and giving them direction. You know, here, here's, here's where it's all coming. And here's the thing. And, and, and he starts giving them wisdom and direction. God, we need some help. We need some wisdom. That's what I was just saying a few moments ago. And God said, what do you think I started back then? He said, I started telling Mary and Joseph. I started giving them direction. And even the Magi, you know, we call them the three kings, but we don't really know that they're three, you know, three wise men. We, we call it however many it was that God gave them direction to and pointed them in the right. And they came and they found Jesus there. How did, how did, you know how they found Jesus? When they saw the star, when they realized, wait a minute, God's doing something. They went to the Scriptures, and they reasoned where the child of God was to be born. They reasoned that. That's how they found him. Oh, I know there was a star there, but I don't know if you know anything about stars, but you, know, you, you, you can't really find a location on the earth with a star. You know, you know, it, they were following the star, but they were following the direction that they had reasoned from the Scriptures. And you know what You know what I realized? Here again, reasoning with God. You know what I realized? I, like the magi, like those wise men, I have reasoned some things. You looked out there lately? I have reasoned that my answers are not out there. I have reasoned that the awesome power that I need in my life, I have reasoned where to find it. I have reasoned. The help that I need with all of my problems, with all of my stress, with all of my hurt and pain, I have reasoned, and I know where it comes from. I have reasoned where my guidance and my wisdom comes from. And it comes from the one that we call Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we're celebrating this season, at least as a Christian. That's what we celebrate And I reasoned all of that from there. Now, not by myself. That was me and God reasoning. And man, that built my faith this week. That's what it is. That's that's how this thing's supposed to work. Get it, okay? That's how this is supposed to work, is that we reason with God and it builds our faith. What an awesome awesome power set of tools God gives us to get us through. And, And I want you to get that. But I also want to tell you one last little thing is that he didn't give us reasoning ability just for ourselves. Okay, I'm going to have to hurry here because I've I've gone gone a little long. But Acts chapter 17. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, this was his custom. He did this regularly everywhere he went. He went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Now, some people tell you, you know, if you're going to have faith, you're going to, have to drop reason. No, no, no. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Explaining, giving evidence that Christ died and rose again and saying, this, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, the Messiah. He reasoned with them. He explained to them. He broke it down. And he, he reasoned with them, okay? All right, let's go down to verse uh, 16. And now Paul is in in the city of Athens. And he's waiting on uh, Silas and Timothy to show up. And while he was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked or angered within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning. So he was reasoning, again, in the synagogue. He was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. Now, these are the people who are trying to follow God, Jehovah. The Jews, the God-fearing Gentiles, and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be present. Jump down to verse 22. They took him over to the Areopagus, which is a place where everybody just kind of sat down and reasoned together. You know, Jews, Christians, and uh, just the heathen of the day as well. And so Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all aspects. And one uh, translation of the word religion there, religious there is superstitious. You guys are superstitious. For while I was passing through your city and examining the objects of your worship, I saw that statue and that idol and that idol and that altar and that temple and all that. He said, I also found an altar with its inscription to an unknown God. Now some have said that what was going on here is they believed in all these gods and they were worried that maybe they had left one out. And so they created this altar and they didn't know his name, you know, because they didn't know who he was yet. And so they wrote to an unknown God. That's what they carved there to an unknown God. That way, if he shows up one day and he's angry at them, you know, and he's ready to, you know, he's ready to just just zap them with fire or something, they can say, No, 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 wait a minute. We've got your altar right. We just didn't know your name. Tell us what it is, and we'll change it real quick. And that's I think that's why some people think maybe we ought to use the word superstitious up there. they more than religious, they're superstitious. And Paul says, Therefore, to what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. I love that. This, this is one of my favorite little passages right here. I love that. How Paul says, I've become all things to all men. And all. I love it. You know, but here's what he did. He said, Guys, I've been looking at your city and you got all this stuff, and I saw that altar. You know, with all this that you worship, you know there's still more. Let me tell you about the more. Oh, man. Isn't, isn't that awesome? And he reasoned with them. We've written names on the walls. Y'all sent me emails of people last week. I asked you, if you weren't here last Sunday, if you've got somebody on your heart that really needs God in their life, send me an email. I want to be praying with you about them. Send me a quick email. You, you can tell me as little as you want to about it. I want to be praying with you about them. And when you, when, when, when you, when you see them, you've already acknowledged there's some hole in their life they need God in. You know, And the temptation is often, especially parents, if it's, if it's one of your children or somebody else that's close to you, temptation is really, we want to take it away. We don't want them to hurt like that anymore. Don't do that. Because it's that empty place that God is probably planning to use to draw them to Him. God doesn't want it taken away. He wants to fill it up. And so say, God, show me. What He did right here is He saw the place of their hunger and he fed it. He filled it. I, I want to pray with you in closing. I want to pray with you that God helps you see the hunger in the people around you. Not just see the, oh, they're horrible people. No, no, not just see the, the death and the, see the hunger. So you'll know how to fill it. So you'll know how to, how to put what needs to be put in there. So would you stand and let's come to the front. If you're a first-time attender, we'd like to close with a final prayer and a final song at the front. So if you come, let's all come forward. You're welcome to come join us. And we'll just have the, one, one last little thing I want to share with you. We'll have a word of prayer and we'll sing a little final song and be dismissed. Amen. This is our time. Okay, if you, you've got somebody that really needs God, somebody in your heart that really needs God, this is the time. The next two and a half weeks, everybody's mind is on Jesus. I know it's on Santa and all that other stuff. But every time they say Merry Christmas, they're saying the name Christ. You know, that's one of the reasons some people have attacked that. They don't want Walmart saying Merry Christmas because they don't like people saying Christ all the time. They're saying it all the time. That's what their minds are on. This is, our t- this is, your, op- this is your greatest opportunity. And I know sometimes you struggle with it. Oh, and how exactly? Yesterday I gave away a half a box of Bibles to the men in our small group, and I said, "Guys, let's get these out. They're they're a little different. Uh, it's not a different version of translation. Don't think I don't want you to think we're passing out any sacrilege or anything heresy. It, it's NIV, but it's, it's it's a different kind of Bible. And it, it's a kind of Bible that opens the door and Say, hey, my pastor gave me one of these, and thought you know I thought of you. It gave me an extra one, so I thought you might like." We just need to start looking for opportunities like that. And Christmas is the opportunity. And I know you think, oh, it's the excuse. They don't want to hear it. Yes, they do. They got a hole in their heart. They want to hear about what would fill that hole. But we probably need to do it in a different way than we've done it in the past. We don't need to do it in our reasoning or the reasoning of the religious. We need to do it in God's reasoning. That's what I want to pray over you. I want to pray over you. Bow with me. Jamie, lead us when you can. Father. I just ask you, God, we've got people.